We're going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the fourth piece in Hilchus Bias HaMikdash. This is Parak Dalet Halacha Vav. And this is a very long piece. It's one of the longest, if not the longest, in the Sefer. So we'll just work our way through it step by step. Now the case that Rab Chaim is discussing is a fairly obscure one. It's called Tumas HaTahom, which translates as the impurity of the depths. So the case is that there's a dead body nobody knows about. So this poses a potential big issue because anyone coming into contact with that dead body is now tame. And if they go ahead and bring sacrifices, those sacrifices are disqualified because the person's tame, but they don't realize that they're tame. So you could have a situation where all sorts of people are becoming tame, not realizing it, and then going ahead and bringing sacrifices. So in order to solve this, the halacha set a major leniency, which is the leniency of Tumas HaTahom, that in the case of a Nazir or Karban Pesach, the sacrifice is not disqualified, even if it turns out the person was tame. So let's say someone came in contact with a dead body nobody knew about, then they brought their Karban Pesach and ate it, and then a week after Pesach, the body's discovered. Their Karban Pesach is still valid and they don't need to redo it. Likewise, let's say a Nazir completes his vow and then subsequent to that, the body's discovered. So it turns out that he was Tameh. He does not need to redo his Nazir vow. So this is the leniency of Tumas HaTahom and it's based on the concept of Tzitz Maratzeh. The Tzitz was the crown that the Kohen Gadol wore. So it was one of the eight clothing of the Kohen Gadol and it atoned for sacrifices which were brought in Tumah. So because the tzitz atoned for the sin of having brought the sacrifice with Tumah, that's why in the case of Tumah Satahom, you don't need to redo the sacrifice. And if there's going to be any unifying theme in this piece of Reb Chaim, it's probably this, that the tzitz meratzah is an intrinsic part of this whole leniency in cases where we can't apply the tzitz's atonement, so then it's much more difficult to understand Tumah Satahom. So Reb Chaim's going to juggle a lot of details, but that might be the central idea that unifies them. So this piece of Rab Chaim is going to analyze this leniency of Tumas HaTahom, and he's going to try to understand the Rambam's approach to this halacha, which is different from Rashi and Tosvos's. And he's also balancing three different cases where it applies, which is the Karban Pesach, the case of the Nazir, as well as a Kohen who came into contact with Tumas HaTahom without realizing it, of course, and then he brought a sacrifice for other people. So Rab Chaim's going to juggle those three cases and try to understand how the the Rambam versus Rashi and Tosfos make sense of them. So that's why the piece gets quite lengthy because there's all sorts of details that are flying around. And again, we'll just try to keep them straight and make sense of them one by one. The Rambam writes, A Kohen who did the service in the Beis HaMikdash and then it turned out that he was Tameh. So if it was a case of Tumas HaTahom, meaning no one knew there was a body, Hatzitz Meratzeh, the Tzitz atones for it. All of the sacrifices that he brought are okay. Even if he found out that there was a body there before he had sprinkled the blood, so the body was discovered before he had done the service, and then he still went ahead and did the service. Hortza, it's still okay. Because the tzitz atones for impurity, even if a person intentionally did the service while they were impure. So not only does Tumas HaTahom help if the Kohen finds out a week after he did the service that he had come in contact with this body, but even if he knew when he went ahead and did the service, it's still valid because the tzitz atones for that.
So this comes from the Gemara in Pesachim Pe'alaf Amid Beis. Marbar Ravashi said that the whole leniency of Tumas at home is only when the Kohen found out after he had done the service, not if he found out about this body before he had sprinkled the blood. So the Gemara asks from Abraisa, which says, If a dead body is discovered on the path, so this is Tumas at home, anyone that walked down that path possibly stepped over that body. So with regards to Truma, they're considered Tameh, but for Nazir and Pesach, they're Tahor. So the Gemara says that Tameh and Tahor doesn't mean in the past, it means in the future. So this Bryce is not saying that the person who already brought the carbon Pesach and the Nazir doesn't have to redo it. It's saying something even more that they can go ahead and bring the carbon Pesach and the Nazir and it's still valid even though they already know that they came in contact with this dead body. So the Gemara instead adjusts Eli Yitmar Hachi Yitmar that it has to be the other way that Marbar of Ashi said that not only if they find out about the body after they already finished the Zrika, after the service, but even before they had done the sprinkling, so they still had more left to do, and they went ahead and did it after finding out about the dead body, it's still valid. So that's where the Rambam got this halacha from, that even if the Kohen already knew that he had come in contact with a dead body and he still did the Zrika, it's still valid. It's this explicit Gemara based on the Brisa. Now there is a debate between Rashi and the Rambam how to interpret this case. Rashi says that we're talking about the owners of the sacrifice. So the Yisrael who brought the animal he became Tame with Tumas at home, And that's the case of the Gemara, where if the Kohen went ahead and did the sprinkling, it's still good. Whereas the Rambam interprets that it's talking about the Kohen who's doing the service, not the owner of the sacrifice, but the person in the Beis HaMikdash doing the service, that even if he knew he was Tame and did the sprinkling, it's still valid. Now Reb Chaim asks on the Rambam the central question that he's going to be dealing with throughout this piece. The Rambam in Hochus Karban Pesach, Perak Vav Alachi Yud Beis, says, Mish asa Pesach b'chezka shehutahor, v'achar kach noda lo shahaya tamei b'tumas atahom. If someone brought a Karban Pesach thinking that they were tahor, and then it turned out that they had come in contact with an unknown dead body, he does not have to bring a Karban Pesach at Pesach Sheni, meaning he's fulfilled his mitzvah the first time, and that is a Halacha Lamoshim Sinai. Now in the Halacha before that, Halacha Yud Aleph, he writes, If someone walked down a path, and then it turned out that there was a dead body lying across that path. So the Rambam says, if it's a case of Tumas home that no one had known the body was there, so even though this person is Tameh with regards to Truma, He's still permitted to bring the Karban Pesach. He can go through the whole process of the Karban Pesach. He can sacrifice it. He can eat it. Even though it's possible that he touched the dead body, since this is a case of Tumas HaTahom, he's still valid with regards to the Pesach. That's the leniency of Tumas HaTahom. Unless he knows for sure that he touched the dead body, in which case he can't bring the Karban Pesach. So here the Rambam adds in something very important. That Tumas HaTahom with regards to the Karban Pesach 
only applies in a case of suffolk, where the person is not totally sure if they came in contact with the dead body. So there's two factors which are both needed for the leniency. One is that the person's not totally sure that they did touch the dead body. There's a possibility that they didn't come in contact at all with this body. And second of all is Tomas at the home. So in a case where you have both of those together, even if the person found out that they were Tame before the Zrika, and then they went ahead and did the Zrika, it would still be valid. But in a case of Vadai, so the person knows that they for sure came in contact with this dead body, which was now discovered. So that wouldn't work before the Zrika. It would only work if they found out after they had already done the whole carbon Pesach, that there was a body there. So the Rambam makes a major differentiation between when in the process they found out that there was a body. If it's before the service was done, then it has to be a suffix. If it's after the carbon Pesach was already done and eaten, then even in a case of Vadai, the leniency of Tumasa Tahom will backtrack and make the carbon Pesach valid. But now there's a major problem because in our halachas in Hilchus Biyas Mikdash, where the Rambam is talking about the Kohen, so not the owner of the carbon Pesach, but the Kohen who did the service, there the Rambam makes no distinction between Vadai and Safek. It sounds like even if it's a case of Vadai, so once the body was discovered, the Kohen knows for sure that he was in contact with it. Even if he then went ahead and did the Zrika, it's still a valid carbon. So the implication is that with the Kohen, the leniency is even more extensive that even a Vadai case of Tomas HaTahom that he found out about before the service was done and then went ahead and did it is still valid, unlike the owners who before the service is over can only apply Tomas HaTahom in a case of Suffolk. But Rab Chaim asks, how could the Rambam differentiate between the Kohen and the owners when the Gemara in Psachim is very clear that we learn out both cases together? The Gemara in Peah Medbei says, B'zivcha gemiri, that the leniency of Tumas HaTahom is applied to the sacrifices, meaning it's not applied to any one person, but it has to do with the sacrifice itself. So that's why it applies whether to the owners or to the Kohen who does the sacrifice. So since both of these people are learned out together, how could there be this major distinction that for the owners, Tumas HaTahom, before the service is done, only applies in a suffix, whereas to the Kohen, it applies even to Avadai. And even more than that, Rab Chaim adds, the whole source for the leniency of the Kohen is from the Brisa that if someone found a body lying on the road, they can still go ahead and bring the carbon. So that's where we derive that if the Kohen does the service after finding the dead body, it's still valid. But that Brisa is talking about the owner who walked down that road. So basically, we're learning out the Kohen's leniency from the Brisa where the context was the owner's leniency. Now, it's true that the Rambam interprets that Brisa as talking about a case of a suffix. So it's unclear if the person walking down the road came in contact with the dead body or not. But if that's the case, says Rab Chaim, where do we have a source to derive that the Kohen's leniency of Tumas HaTahom applies even in a case of Vadai? Because the whole source that it's learned out from is only referring to Suffolk. So where did the Rambam see in the Gemara that there's a difference between the owners and the Kohen and that somehow the Kohen's leniency of Tumas HaTahom applies even in a case of Vadai before he did the Zrika?
So Rab Chaim points out that in fact there is a source which seems to say exactly like the Rambam, which is the Tosefta in Pesach in Perek Vav, which is quoted by Rashi. If they told him that there was a dead body in the house that he was in. So that's a case of Vada. He certainly became Tameh from that dead body. Or you sat on a rock on top of it. So again, these are cases of Vadai. And he found out Ad Shelo Oses Pischo before he had done the carbon Pesach. So then the Tosefta says, Tzarech Lasos Pesach Sheni. He does need to redo the carbon Pesach. So that does seem to say very clearly, like the Rambam's distinction, that in a case where the owner knew Vadai, that he had come in contact with Tumas Atahom before the carbon Pesach was completed, he does need to redo it again. Now Rashi has another approach to resolve this seeming contradiction between the Tosefta versus the Brisa that says, even if he finds out about it before the Zrika, he can still go ahead and do the Zrika. Rashi says that there's no disagreement. They both hold that the most important milestone is the moment of Shrita. So if the person finds out their tame before the animal was slaughtered, then they should stop the process. And if they do anyways go ahead and do the Shrita, then the carbon is invalid and they would have to do the carbon Pesach again. But once the Shrita happened, then the person could go ahead and do the Zerika, even though they now know that they were Tameh. So that's why there's no debate between the Tosefta and the Brisa, because they're talking about when a person found out their Tameh at different moments in the process. The Tosefta's case is when they found out they were Tameh before the Shechita. So since they wrongly went ahead and did the rest of the process, they need to do another Karban Pesach later. Whereas the Brisa's case is talking about when they found out they were Tameh after the Shechita, before the Zerika. So in that case, they were allowed to continue and do the Zerika, and it's still a valid carbon. So according to Rashi, there is no distinction between the Kohen versus the owners. The key points for everyone are that if they find out before the Shechita, then they're not allowed to continue, but after the Shechita and before the Zerika, then they're allowed to finish up the carbon based on the leniency of Tumas HaTahom. The Rambam, on the other hand, is obviously interpreting the Tosefta differently because he's saying that it points to some distinction between the Kohen and the owners, that the owner's leniency only applies to Suffolk and the Kohen applies also to Vadai. But again, this is difficult to understand how the Rambam read these sources because the Brisa is talking about the owners. So how do you learn out a halacha with regards to the Kohen that doesn't even apply to the owners? So Rab Chaim's going to try to explain the Rambam's interpretation of this halacha. And he begins with another very central question. The Gemara said in Marbar of Ashi that if someone found out they were Tameh before the Zerika, they can still go ahead and do the Karban Pesach. So it's clear that the leniency of Tumas HaTahom is even proactive that a person can do things in the future after they know that they're Tameh. But the problem is that the Mishnah in Nazir, Daf Samech Gimel, which says this halacha with regards to Nazir, says that if a Nazir completed his vow and he shaved, so he finished the process, and then he found out that he had become Tameh when he was a Nazir. So if it's a known Tuma, then he has to start all over. But if it's Tumas HaTahom, then he's okay. He doesn't have to redo it. But Im Adshlo Gilach, if he hadn't shaved yet, so he had not completed the whole process of his Nazirus, 
Benkach uvenkach soser. Then either way, even if it's Tumas Atahom, he still has to redo the whole thing. So this Mishnah makes it very clear that you cannot do any part of the process after finding out about the Tuma. The whole leniency of Tumas Atahom is in the past. That if someone already did something, so then they don't have to redo it. But it doesn't allow you to do anything in the future after finding out about the Tumah. So there seems to be a major difference in the presentation of these halachas between the Karban Pesach and the Nazir. That the Karban Pesach, he can continue doing the Zrika even after finding out he's Tameh. Whereas the Nazir can't do anything once he finds out he's Tameh. Which can't be because it's the same leniency. So why should it function differently in these two halachas? So Tosos and Psachim already asked this question. And Tosos answers that that Mishnah in Nazir is following the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. That Tiglachas Ma'ak. The shaving at the end of the Nazir's vow is an absolute requirement. Until then, the process is not over. So that's why that Mishnah is so strict on if the person found out their Tameh before they shave, they have to redo the whole thing. Because according to Rabbi Eliezer, the shaving is really integral to the whole process. But according to the Rabbanan, who hold that the shaving is a mitzvah, but it's not integral to the whole process. It doesn't bring everything to a standstill until it's done. So they are going to hold that the shaving is not a key milestone. And if the Nazir found out he was Tameh before he shaved, he still doesn't need to redo the process. So what is the milestone according to them? It's when was the sacrifice slaughtered? So this is going to be similar to what Rashi said before, that the moment of Shechita is the defining moment. So if the Nazir or the person doing the Karban Pesach found out they were Tameh after the Shechita, then they could go ahead and do the Zrika. But if they found out before the Shechita, so then they would need to redo the whole process. So according to Tosvos, there is a parallel between these two cases. In both cases, the key milestone is Shechita. If the person finds out their Tameh before that, they need to redo it. After that, they can go ahead with the Zrika. And the Mishnah in Nazir, which says that the milestone is the shaving, is following Rabbi Eliezer's opinion, which attributes a lot more significance to the shaving than the Rabbanan. So that's Tosos' approach to make sense of this. But Rab Chaim asks that this seems to go against the Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi quotes Rabbi Yochanan as qualifying that the Mishnah in Nazir, which says that everything depends on when he shaved, is Rabbi Eliezer. So that part is the same as Tosfos. But then Rabbi Yochanan says that according to the Rabbanan, the key milestone would be Zrika. So if the Nazir finds out he was Tameh before the Zrika of his sacrifices, then he needs to do the whole thing over again. But if it's after Zrika, then he doesn't need to redo it. So Rabbi Yochanan is contradicting Tosvos, who said that the key moment is Shrita. And if the Nazir found out he was Tameh after Shrita, then he can complete the Zrika. But according to the Yushalmi, if he found out he's Tameh after the Shrita, before the Zrika, he cannot complete the Zrika. So this is now a major difference between Nazir and Karban Pesach, because the Gemara in Pesachim said that if the person finds out their Tameh before the Zrika, after the Shrita, then they could do Zrika in the case of the Karban Pesach. But the Yushalmi saying that if the Nazir finds out he's Tameh after the Shechita, but before the Zrika of his sacrifices, then he cannot go ahead and do the Zrika. So we're back to our question, what is the difference between Karban Pesach and Nazir? So to answer this question, Rab Chaim formulates his first big concept in this halacha. And he says that the leniency of Tumas HaTahom actually includes two different components. One is that Tumas HaTahom 
is considered a different type of tumah than normal tumah. So generally, tumah makes it that someone can't be a nazir or can't bring the carbon pesach. But tumah satahom is a different type of tumah, so it doesn't stop them from being able to do those mitzvahs. The second component is that there's a leniency built into Tumas HaTahom that even if the person is Tameh, they're still able to fulfill those mitzvahs. So there's a special heter, an exception, in the case of Tumas HaTahom that they can go ahead and do those mitzvahs. So those are the two components of this halacha, that the Tumah is different and that there's a heter to do those mitzvahs. Says Rab Chaim, the heter only applies so long as they don't know that they're Tameh. But as soon as they find out that they're Tameh, then the heter disappears, because that's the way the heter of Tumas HaTahom was formulated, that it applies so long as the person doesn't know that they're Tameh. But even once they know that they're Tameh, the second component still remains that this is a different type of tumma than other tumas. So even though other tumas preclude the ability to bring a carbon pesach or a nazir, tumas hatahom functions differently, and that doesn't change just because they found out that they're tame. Yes, now they know that they're tame, so they don't have the full leniency of tumas hatahom. But that doesn't go back and change history. That when they originally became tame, it was with tumas hatahom. So in the case where they found out they were Tameh, they lost the Heter component, but the other aspect that it's a different type of Tumah still remains. So now says Rab Chaim, this is going to explain the difference between a Karban Pesach and a Nazir when we add in one more factor, which is the Tzitz Maratza. The Tzitz will atone for a Karban which is brought in Tumah. So in the case of the Karban Pesach, the real leniency of Tumas HaTahom is when a person didn't know they were Tameh until well after Pesach. So they fulfilled the whole mitzvah of the carbon Pesach under the leniency of Tumas HaTahom and therefore it's valid and they don't have to do it again. But if they found out that they were Tameh in the middle of the process before the Zrika, so now they no longer have a leniency of Tumas HaTahom to do the Zrika but on the other hand the Tzitz Maratzeh, the Tzitz will atone for having done that Zrika improperly. So if we put together these two factors, it's going to explain why a person can do the Zrika of the carbon Pesach even after finding out they were Tameh. Because since the tuma is not really a problem, because it's tumas at home, the only problem is that they no longer have a leniency to go ahead and do the zrika because now they know that they're tameh. So for that, the tzitz kicks in and it allows them to complete this process and do the zrika. On the other hand, when it comes to the nazir, the tzitz is not going to help you in any way because the question of the nazir is not whether he has to bring his carbon again, it's whether he has to do the nazir vow again. So for that, the tzitz is totally irrelevant. The tzitz obviously doesn't help someone fulfill their nazir vow. So that's exactly the distinction between the case of the carbon Pesach and the nazir. Since the carbon Pesach is a carbon, the tzitz kicks in and allows the process to finish. As opposed to the nazir, where the tzitz never helps. So if he discovered that he was Tameh before the zrika, meaning before the process was totally finished, then he has to redo the whole nazir vow. And sure enough, the Rambam in Hilchus Nazir's Parak Vav rules in accordance with this Yerushalmi that the key moment in this halacha for the nazir is zrika. So if he finds out he's Tameh before the zrika, then he has to redo the whole thing. And that's like Rab Chaim said, because the question is on the vow, and since there's no tzitz in that case, so then he has to redo the whole thing. So Rab Chaim's interpretation of how the Rambam would answer 
answer Tosos' question about the difference between carbon Pesach and Nazir emphasizes how important the tzitz can be to the whole leniency of Tomas HaTahom. Says Rab Chaim, based on that, we can now answer the question on the Rambam who distinguishes between the Kohen and the owners. And again, the big difference is going to hinge on the tzitz. So when it comes to the owner bringing a carbon Pesach when he's Tamei, we need to overcome two issues. One is that there's a halacha with carbon Pesach that the owner can't be Tamei. So if the owner's Tamei, he's not allowed to bring the carbon Pesach. The second is that the owners have to eat the carbon Pesach. We hold that part of the mitzvah of the carbon Pesach is eating it. And if the owner's Tamei, then he can't eat it that night. So there's two issues that need to be overcome in the case of a Tamei owner. Now, Tumas HaTahom can solve both of these problems because it allows the owner to bring the carbon even though he's Tamei. That's the leniency of Tumas HaTahom. And with regards to the eating problem, so Tumas HaTahom can also solve that. Either because the owner already ate it. So let's say he doesn't find out he was Tamei until a week after Pesach. It's already over and done with. He ate the carbon and there's nothing to do about it. So Tumas HaTahom solves the problem of eating in that way. Or let's say he found out that he was Tamei before he ate it, after the Zrika. So built into the Tumas HaTahom leniency is that he doesn't need to eat it in that case. So Tumas HaTahom will solve both of these problems. But Tumas HaTahom can only solve them before he knows that he's Tamei. Once he knows that he's Tamei, then he can no longer use Tumas HaTahom to continue solving the problems. So there we need to have the tzitz kick in in order to allow him to continue doing the process. The tzitz only helps for the first problem, that he can bring a carbon while he's Tamei. Because the tzitz atones for carbons that are brought with Tuma. But the tzitz won't help him eat the carbon. So in a case where he found out that he's Tamei before the Zrika, he's going to have a problem even though he could do the zrika because the tzitz will help for the zrika, but he's not going to be able to eat the carbon Pesach and there's no more leniency of Tumas HaTahom. So that's why when the owner finds out he's Tameh before the zrika, he's not going to be able to do the carbon Pesach. The leniency of Tumas HaTahom in a case where the owner becomes Tameh is only when he doesn't find out that he's Tameh until after the zrika. As opposed to the Kohen where there's only one problem that needs to be solved because he's not eating from this carbon Pesach. The only thing he's doing is bringing it in the Beis Mikdash. So the single issue is that a Kohen who's Tameh can't bring a carbon Pesach. So for that, the tzitz will kick in and solve that problem. So that's why even if the Kohen finds out that he's Tameh before the Zrika, he can go ahead and do the Zrika of the carbon Pesach based on the tzitz Maratzeh. So now this explains exactly why the Rambam differentiated between the Kohen and the owners. The difference is based on when the tzitz kicks in. In the case of the Kohen, the tzitz kicks in and allows him to be able to do the service even though he now knows that he's Tameh. But with regards to the owners, even though the tzitz will allow the zrika to be done, but it won't allow them to eat from the Karban Pesach, so they anyways can't fulfill their mitzvah. So that's exactly why when the Rambam was reading the Brisa that says, even if the person finds out their Tameh before zrika, they can still go ahead and do the Karban Pesach, the Rambam said that could only really be referring to the case of a Kohen. Because for the owner, that's not entirely true because they're not going to be able to eat the Karban Pesach. Pesach. So the owner can only fulfill their carbon Pesach if they find out their Tameh after the whole carbon's been completed. So that's Rab Chaim's first explanation for the Rambam's distinction between the Kohen and the owner, and it hinges on the centrality of the tzitz 
to this whole process. Now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim suggests another distinction between the Kohen and the owner. And this distinction is also going to involve the centrality of the tzitz, but it comes at it from a different perspective from the angle of the Karban Pesach. So Rab Chaim says that when someone is Tame and brings a Karban Pesach, there's two different problems. One is that they're not supposed to bring a Karban Pesach when they're Tame. And the second is that someone who's Tame is totally removed from the whole mitzvah of Karban Pesach. So not only is there the general problem that someone who's Tame shouldn't be sending a Karban, but there's an additional Pesach problem, which is the way the Torah formulated the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, anyone that's Tame is not included in that mitzvah at all, so they can't fulfill their mitzvah. And the proof for this is the Rambam in Hilchus Karban Pesach, Parakei Halacha Beis, where he codifies a case of someone who accidentally didn't bring the Karban Pesach on the first regular Pesach, and then they intentionally skipped the second Pesach. So do they get the punishment of Kares of having their soul cut off for having skipped Pesach Sheni? So the Rambam says, Misha Shagago Nenas, if it was a mistake the first time and then it was intentional the second time, then they would get kares because since they skipped the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, they get the punishment. But says the Rambam, let's say at the first Pesach, it wasn't a mistake. Rather, they were Tamei or they were a far distance. So those are the cases where the Torah explicitly says that they don't need to do the first Pesach. They should do the second Pesach. So if that person then intentionally skipped the second Pesach, the Rambam says that they don't get Kares that year, even though they didn't bring any Karban Pesach. Because during the first Pesach, it's not just that they were absolved from punishment because they were Tamei or they were a far distance, but they were totally exempt from the whole mitzvah. So when they skipped the second Pesach, they didn't skip a mitzvah which had a punishment of kares for them. That's how the Rambam puts it, shikvar niftar bepesach rishon min hakares, that the Torah had already exempted them from kares on Pesach rishon. So the Rambam makes a very important distinction between someone who's tame on Pesach rishon versus someone who's an ones. Let's say they had a very good reason why they couldn't bring the carbon Pesach, but that person is still included in the overall mitzvah. They have a good reason, so they're not going to get punished for not doing it, but they're still included in the mitzvah, as opposed to the person who's tame, where the Torah totally removed them from being part of that mitzvah. So this idea, says Rab Chaim, is one notch above the general prohibition for someone who's tame to bring a karban, because that doesn't remove them entirely from the mitzvah of karban Pesach. It just means that they have a good reason why they're not able to fulfill the mitzvah. But the Torah added another component when it comes to Karban Pesach that someone who's Tameh, not only do they have a valid reason not to be punished for skipping the mitzvah, but they're not even part of the mitzvah at all to the point where even if they then skip it intentionally at Pesach Sheni, they can't be punished because they were totally removed from the mitzvah the first time around. And Rab Chaim adds that even the Ravid who disagrees with the Rambam, and he says that there's no real difference between the case of an onus and the case of a Tameh, even though one is explicit in the Torah and one is derived in the Gemara, but the Ravid says that halachically they function the same. But Rab Chaim says the Ravid's not disagreeing with what he just said. The Ravid also agrees that someone who is Tameh on Pesach Rishon and then intentionally skipped Pesach Sheni doesn't get Kares, as Rab Chaim explained, because he was totally removed from the mitzvah on Pesach Rishon. It's just the Ravid holds that onus 
also has that same leniency. But the Ravid would agree with Rab Chaim's formulation based on the Rambam that someone who's tame with regards to Karban Pesach is more than just exempt from punishment because they weren't able to do the mitzvah. They're totally removed from the mitzvah. And Rab Chaim has a great proof that everybody has to hold like this because what's the equivalent case of someone who's tame? It's someone who is far away. Now, someone who's far away, there's nothing wrong with them that they can't bring the carbon. If it was a different carbon and they were to send it, it wouldn't matter where they were in the world, it could be sacrificed. But the Torah said that someone who's far away doesn't bring the carbon Pesach. So you see that it's not that there's something wrong in this situation that they can't do the mitzvah, but it's that the Torah removed them from the mitzvah. And the same is true of the person who's Tameh, even though in general they can't bring carbono, but this is a special halacha that they're removed from the concept of carbon Pesach. So now having established that everyone's going to have to hold of this concept that the carbon Pesach is more than a regular carbon which shouldn't be brought by someone who's Tameh. With regards to the carbon Pesach, it's that the person is totally removed from the mitzvah. Now, says Rab Chaim, we could explain the difference between the Kohen and the owners, again by factoring in the tzitz. Because the tzitz is able to solve the problem of someone Tameh who brings a carbon. That's the type of sin that the tzitz atones for. But it's not going to help with the unique problem of the carbon Pesach that the person's not included in the mitzvah of carbon Pesach because they're Tameh. Obviously, the tzitz can't command people in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. So in the case where the person found out their Tameh before the Zrika, they're no longer able to complete this Karban Pesach, even though the Tzitz would atone for the aspect that they're Tameh and they brought a Karban, that sin we could have gotten around using the Tzitz. But this is a Karban Pesach, so it's different than other sacrifices. They're not included in the mitzvah at all, and for that the Tzitz is not going to help them. So that explains why in the case of the owner becoming Tameh, it has to be after the Zrika, because at that point we have the leniency of Tumas Atahom, which will allow them to do this mitzvah. But once they find out that they're Tameh before the Zrika, so then we're not able to use the Tzitz to resolve this carbon Pesach anymore, so they're not able to do the mitzvah at that point. So interestingly, Rab Chaim points out, the case of the owner becoming Tameh with the carbon Pesach is the parallel of the Nazir. Because in both cases, the Tzitz doesn't resolve all the problems. And the case which is different from those two is where the Kohen became Tameh because there the Tzitz kicks in to solve the problem. Now, Reb Chaim questions this idea that the tzitz is not able to include a Tameh person in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach because he says the only reason this person is excluded from the whole mitzvah is because they're Tameh. If they weren't Tameh, then obviously they would bring the Karban Pesach like everybody else. So once the tzitz atones for the sin of bringing a Karban in Tumah, then why shouldn't this person now be part of the whole mitzvah? Even though it's true that there are two aspects to why the Tameh person doesn't bring the Karban Pesach, one is that they're Tameh, and the second is that the Torah removed them from the mitzvah, but once the Tzitz removed the first barrier, so then the second one should automatically fall away because they no longer have the laws of someone that's Tameh. So Rab Chaim answers that this is not really a good question because if we understand the way that sits works, then we'll understand why it's still a problem. That sits doesn't turn the person 
person from Tame into Tahar. Rather, what the Tzitz does is it says, even though they did do the sin of bringing a carbon when they were Tame, but that sin is atoned. The Tzitz doesn't go back and change history and make them from Tame into Tahar. The facts of the case are going to stay the same. This person was Tame. They did bring a carbon, but the Tzitz atones for that sin. So if so, with regards to carbon Pesach, even though the tzitz could atone for the sin of bringing a carbon when the person was Tameh, but it doesn't change the fact that they were Tameh and the Torah excluded them from this mitzvah. That's why the tzitz atoning for the sin of a Tameh bringing a carbon Pesach is not going to fully solve the problem and they still are not able to fulfill the mitzvah of carbon Pesach when they find out that they're Tameh before the Zerika. Now, obviously, if they found out they're Tameh after the Zerika, so then the leniency of Tumas HaTahom kicks in that the carbon Pesach is valid and they don't need to redo it. So now Rab Chaim's explanation is going to account for why the Rambam differentiates between the case of the Kohen versus the owner. Because when the owner became Tameh, so then there's this double problem. Not only is he a Tameh person trying to bring a carbon, but he's also excluded from the whole mitzvah and the Tzitz can't solve that as we said. But when the Kohen's Tameh, so then there's only one problem which is that he brought a carbon when he was Tameh, and for that, the Tzitz can solve it. So it doesn't matter if the Kohen finds out that he's Tameh before or after the Zerika. If it's after the Zerika, then Tumas HaTahom will solve the problem. And if it's before the Zerika, then the Tzitz allows him to complete the process. So again, that explains why the Rambam interprets the Brisa that says that he can complete the process even if he knows he's Tameh as referring only to a Kohen. But in the case of the owner, it's only valid if he finds out he's Tameh after the Zerika not beforehand. So now in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim continues that even though these are two very nice approaches to explain the Rambam's distinction between whether the Kohen or the owner is Tameh, but it goes against the literal reading of the Gemara because the Gemara learns out the whole halacha that even if someone knows they're Tameh, they can go ahead with the Zrika from the Brisa and the Brisa is talking about the owners, not the Kohen. So it seems clear in the Gemara that the halacha of the Kohen and the halacha of the owners is going to be parallel. So again, we're back to the original question that Rab Chaim asked. How can the Rambam make a distinction between the Kohen versus the owners when the whole source for the halacha of the Kohen is learned out from the case of the owners? Similarly, Rab Chaim had asked another question at the beginning, which is how can the Rambam make a distinction between if the owner's vadai tameh or he's a suffake tameh when the Gemara itself seems to contradict that? Because the Gemara derives from the case of the Brisa that even if the person knows for sure that they're Tameh, they can still go ahead and do the Zerika. And as we just said, the case of the Brisa is talking about the owner. So it seems very clear in the Gemara that even though the Brisa may have been talking about a case of a Suffolk, and this is a question because the Brisa later on limits the Halacha only to a Suffolk, not to where he knows for sure that he became Tameh. So Rashi interprets that line as as talking about a later case in the Brisa, but the Rambam, as the Kesef Mishnah points out, interprets it as referring to the whole halacha of the Brisa, meaning the whole concept of Tumas HaTahom is only in a case where after the body was discovered
discovered the person has a suffix if they came in contact with it. But if it's a vadai, then tumasa to home won't apply. So even though the Rambam could interpret the brisa as saying that, but the Gemara then extends that brisa to the case of Marbar of Ashi, where the person finds out that they were tame vadai before the zrika, and the Gemara says that tumasa to home would still apply. So that seems to flat out contradict the Rambam's position that if the owner found out they had become Tame with Tomas Atahom before the Zrika, the leniency would only apply if they're a Suffolk, whether they came in contact with the dead body. But if they're a Vadai, then the leniency wouldn't apply. Whereas the simple reading of the Gemara is that even if the owner is a Vadai Tame and they know that before the Zrika, still the leniency of Tomas Atahom would apply. So again, we're back to the question of how do we make sense of this Rambam's positions in the reading of the Gemara. So in order to answer this, Rab Chaim asks a much more fundamental question, which is what is the Rambam even talking about with this concept of a suffix in Tumas HaTahom? The standard leniency of Tumas HaTahom is that if someone touched a dead body that nobody knew about, so there's a leniency for them to do the carbon Pesach or to be a Nazir. But the Rambam is now introducing a whole new element into this whole halacha of Tumas HaTahom, which is that there's actually two different halachas stated in the leniency of Tumas HaTahom. One is the regular one that we just said, that if someone comes into contact with a dead body that nobody knows about, even if they definitely touch that dead body, so long as they and nobody knows about it, if they do Nazir or Karban Pesach, it's valid. Once they find out about it, so then then they can no longer continue doing those mitzvahs and they have to become tahor. Now the Rambam invents another component to this halacha, which is if they're not sure whether they came in contact with the dead body, so then even after it's discovered, we still err on the lenient side and they can continue doing these mitzvahs. So where on earth did the Rambam find this new component of the halacha? All we see in the Gemara is the first element, that Tumas HaTahom is a leniency to do these mitzvahs if nobody knows that there was a dead body there. But once it's discovered, so then the leniency is gone. The Rambam has a new invention, even once the body's discovered, since it was Tumas HaTahom originally, and at this point, the person is not sure whether they came in contact with the body, so we continue to give them the leniency to do these mitzvahs. So where did the Rambam discover this second component? So Rab Chaim says that in fact, if we analyze the sources in Psachim carefully, we will see that there are two elements to this halach and that's where the Rambam got it from. The first is the Mishnah and Psachim that we've referenced, Nitma Tumas HaTahom HaTzitz Meratze, that if there's Tumas HaTahom, then the Tzitz atones. Now the Tzitz is only needed to atone if there's definitely Tuma. If we're saying that the leniency is that this person is not really Tameh, so then you don't need the Tzitz to atone because there's no real sin. So the tzitz is only needed in a case where we say this person is definitely Tameh and they did something wrong, but the tzitz atones. So that has to be in a case of Vadai Toma. Now the Brisa indicates a different concept because it differentiates between if the person is Vadai Tameh or a Suffolk Tameh. So the implication is that if they're a Suffolk Tameh, then there's a leniency built in because we don't consider this a real Toma. So that is going to be a separate concept from the Mishnah's idea that the tzitz will atone. 
So based on this Mishnah and the Brisa, the Rambam saw that there are two different components to this halacha. One is if the person is a vaday tameh, then the tzitz will atone for that sin. And the second is what the Brisa says, that if they're not sure if they became tameh, so then they can also be lenient because part of Tumas HaTahom is that we give them the leniency in a case of suffix tumah. Now Reb Chaim adds that even though those are the technical sources for these two ideas, but on a conceptual level, they're actually the same fundamental halacha. And here Reb Chaim introduces another major concept within this halacha. He explains that the essence of Tumas HaTahom is that any Tumah which is not known is permitted with regards to Nazir and Karban Pesach. Now there's two ways of not knowing about Tumah, but they're two sides of the same coin. One is that the person and nobody else knows about the Tumah until after they've completed the process. So in that case, even if they're a Vadai, that they definitely touch the body, but since they only found out about it after the process was completed, so the leniency of Tumas Atahom kicks in, and we consider that to be part of the general category that they didn't know about this Tumah. But then there's a second form of that same Halacha, which is even if they do find out about the Tumah, before the process is completed, but they're not sure if they came in contact with this dead body, that's equivalent to not knowing about it. In Rab Chaim's language, Mishum Dekol Yediyas Safek Eina Bechlal Knowing things as a Safek, being unsure about something, is included in the category of not knowing about it. So even though these are subtly different cases, but they reflect the same concept in Halacha, that any Safek which a person does not know about, they can go ahead and do the Nazir and the carbon Pesach. There's two forms of that halacha playing out. Either they don't know at all about the body until after they've completed the process, which point even if the body's discovered and they now know that they're for sure Tameh, but that's called Tumas Atahom, they didn't know about it. And the second is if they don't know if they came in contact with the body. So then even if the body's discovered before they completed the process, but since it's a suffix, it's still considered Tumas Atahom. So now the Mishnah and the Brisa then are not saying separate halachas, but they're just reflecting these two cases. The Mishnah is talking about someone who found out about the Tumah at the end of the whole process. So there the Tzitz is Maratza, and that's included in Tumas Atahom. And the Brisa is talking about someone who found out mid-process. So that's exactly why the Rambam says that the whole case of the Brisa has to be in a case of a suffix in order to be included in this category of Tumas that people didn't know about when they were doing the mitzvah of Karman Pesach or Nazir. And Rab Chaim is a proof to this idea from the Rambam's explanation of the Mishnah in Nazir and Daf Samech Gimel that we mentioned earlier. The Mishnah there says the halacha of Tumas HaTahom that if the Nazir found out that he had come in contact with this body after the process, then he doesn't have to redo it. But if it was before he shaved, which means before the end of the process, so then he has to redo the whole Nazir vow. And then the Mishnah explains the case. Let's say this Nazir went swimming and then a dead body was found floating in that cave. So it's clear that he was on top of the dead body. So he has to redo his whole Nazir vow. But let's say the body was not found floating. It was found in the ground. So now we have a case of Tumas home because nobody knew about this body. So now the Mishnah makes a distinction. Yarad Lahakir, if he just went in to swim for fun, then he's Tahor. But if he went in there as a mikvah because he was already t- 
Tamei, so he needed a mikvah in order to try to become Tahor. So then the Mishnah says he's considered Tamei. Shechezkas Tamei Tamei and Chezkas Tahor Tahor. We leave the person with the status that he had when he went in there. So in a case of Tumas HaTahom, according to the Mishnah, if we know he was already Tamei beforehand, then we're going to consider him Tamei and going into that mikvah didn't work. But if he was Tahor before that, and he was just having fun in that mikvah, so then we're not going to make him Tameh because of Tumas HaTahom. So now Tosos and Nazir understands that this Mishnah is a classic case of Tumas HaTahom, and that's why when the Nazir goes swimming for fun, he's not Tameh, which is the standard halacha of Tumas HaTahom, and that's why when the body is found floating, so he is Tameh because that's not Tumas HaTahom, because the body is known. Now the Mishnah is teaching us one exception to the leniency of Tumas HaTahom, and that is where the person was already Tameh, so then we don't say that they're Tahor because of Tumas HaTahom, we leave them with their status of being Tameh. That's how Tosos reads the Mishnah. Now even though it's not entirely clear that this Nazir touched the dead body or was over the dead body, but Tosos says that since this Mishnah is talking about an Rishus HaYachid, it's a private domain, so the basic halacha of a Suffolk Tuma, when we're unsure if someone became Tameh, is that in a Rishasarab, in a public domain, we're lenient. In a Rishasayachid, we're strict. So here we consider this Suffolk a Tameh case because it's a Rishasayachid, and the only leniency here is because of Tumas Atahom, because if it's buried in the ground, then nobody knows about it. That's Tosos' interpretation of the Mishnah. The Rambam, on the other hand, has a different interpretation in the Zirus Vav Chaf, Yarad Lahaker Harezet. The Rambam explains that the reason the Nazir who goes swimming for fun is Tahor is not because of Tumas HaTahom, it's because of Suffolk Tuma. So he disagrees with Tosfos that because it's a Rishus HaYachid, all the Suffolk Tumas in this case are considered real Tuma, and the Rambam holds that the whole leniency of the case where he's swimming is based on the fact that it's a Suffolk Tuma, we don't know if he came in contact with the dead body. So this Rambam with regards to the Nazir swimming is now exactly the same as the Rambam with regards to the Karban Pesach, that since the Nazir found out about the Tumah before he completed the process, so the only way he doesn't have to redo the Nazir is if it was a Suffolk Tumah. But if he knew for sure that he touched the dead body, then he would have to redo the Nazir. But says Rab Chaim, this is a very nice interpretation in the Rambam, but how does it fit in the Mishnah? Because the Mishnah quoted the case of the Nazir swimming for fun in order to explain the halacha of Tumas HaTahom. That's the whole halacha it's talking about over there, where the body is buried in the ground so nobody knew it was there. So according to the Rambam, that the leniency of the Nazir swimming is not based on Tumas HaTahom that nobody knew about it, but it's based on the suffix that maybe he didn't touch the dead body. So how does that explain the halacha of the Mishnah of Tumas HaTahom when nobody knew about the body? The Mishnah never said anything about a case of Suffolk Tumas HaTahom. Says Rab Chaim, the concept must be, as he explained, that these are two sides of the same coin, even though they're slightly different cases, but the conceptual underpinning is the same thing. That just like Tumas HaTahom is a case where nobody knows about the Tumah, so too the case of a Suffolk is halachically considered as if the 
Nazir doesn't know that he became Tameh. So that's why the Mishnah is able to illustrate the whole concept of Tumas HaTahom, which generally means that no one knows about the body. But according to the Rambam, you can illustrate it with a slightly different case, which reflects the same halacha, where it's unclear if the Nazir touched the body. So that suffix, whether he became Tameh, is the equivalent of nobody knowing about the body. In both cases, there's a lack of knowledge about this Tumah. So that's why the Nazir doesn't become Tameh. So this proves Rab Chaim's reading of the Rambam, that the Rambam holds that a suffix Tumah, where the person's not sure if they became Tameh, is the equivalent in Halacha of the Tumah Satahom, where they didn't know about the Tumah. In both cases, it's a lack of knowledge about the Tumah, and there's a leniency that they can do the mitzvah of Nazir or Karban Pesach. So now in the fifth paragraph, Rab Chaim brings together all these ideas in order to explain how the Rambam is going to read the Gemara, and he factors back in the tzitz. So he points out that there's a fundamental difference between Tumas HaTahom that uses the tzitz versus Tumas HaTahom that's independent of the tzitz, as he's explained. But so far, he's only developed one element of that distinction. That if the person doesn't know their Tameh, so then Tumas HaTahom alone solves the problem. It doesn't need the tzitz. But if they already know their Tameh, so then they need to use the tzitz to make the carbon valid. But Rab Chaim says that that doesn't fully capture the situation. Because even in cases where the person doesn't know about the Tumah, it still seems that the Tzitz is playing a role because the Mishnah, which lists the whole halacha of Tumas HaTahom, says that the Tzitz is Maratza, and that's talking about both cases where they know about the Tumah and where they don't know about the Tumah. So it seems clear that even if the person doesn't know about the Tumah, Tumas HaTahom alone is insufficient. It needs to be combined also with the Tzitz atoning. Now, what role does the Tzitz play in a situation where the person doesn't know their Tameh? So Rab Chaim has two possibilities. Either that's just the way the Torah formulated the sin of bringing a carbon in Tumah, that even if the person doesn't know about it, they need the Tzitz to atone for them. Or the other option is to look at it from the Tumas HaTahom perspective, that that halacha requires the Tzitz to atone, even if the person doesn't know that they're Tameh. So either way, the Tzitz plays a role even when the person didn't know that they were Tameh when they brought the sacrifice. Now the question is that since we know that there are cases where Tumas HaTahom works independently of the Tzitz, so for example, the Nazir not having to recount his days or the person being able to bring a carbon Pesach even though they're Tameh, so they're excluded from the whole mitzvah, in both of those cases, the Tzitz plays no role and yet the leniency of Tumas HaTahom on its own is able to solve the problem. So if Tumas HaTahom is able to work independently of the tzitz doing anything, then why in cases where the person doesn't know their Tameh when they bring the sacrifice, do we need the tzitz at all? What does the tzitz add in that situation that the leniency of Tumas HaTahom on its own is not able to accomplish? So the answer is that the tzitz is needed anytime we get involved with Karbon. If we're dealing with the days of the Nazir or the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, so then we don't need to apply the tzitz. But any time, whether the person knows their tummy or not, 
we're involved with someone bringing a carbon when they're tame. So then we automatically need the tzitz to play a role in that situation. So now says Rab Chaim, if we dissect the halachas of Nazir and the carbon Pesach, when the person knows they're tame, so it comes out that there's two elements to both of those halachas. With regards to the Nazir not having to count the days again, and the person fulfilling their mitzvah of carbon Pesach, so in both of those halachas, the tzitz plays no role because they have nothing to do with karbanos. So the whole leniency rests on the concept of tumas hatahom. But with regards to the Nazir being able to bring the Karbanos at the end of his process and the person being able to sacrifice the Karban Pesach even though they're Tameh, so there Tumas HaTahom alone is not enough, but we also apply the Tzitz to that leniency. So basically there's a division within each of these Halachas that part of it is due to Tumas HaTahom alone and part of it needs to use the Tzitz in addition. So now says Rab Chaim, if we bring these ideas together, so the whole idea he developed that a suffake is not considered proper knowledge, so it's part of the leniency of Tumas HaTahom, that only applies to the aspects which only use Tumas HaTahom. So the Nazir and Karban Pesach mitzvahs themselves, which don't use the tzitz at all, they only rely on Tumas HaTahom, there we can say that there's two elements to the halacha. One is if the person doesn't know about it at all, so that's called Tumas HaTahom. The second is even if they know that there's Tuma, but it's a suffix if they were in contact, so that's also considered Tumas HaTahom because a suffix is not real knowledge. But that only applies to the elements which rely on Tumas HaTahom alone without the tzitz. As opposed to the leniency in both of those cases to bring the karbanot, so that relies not only on Tumas HaTahom but also on the tzitz. So there it's irrelevant if it's a suffix or a vadai because the tzitz doesn't care whether the person knows about their tuma as a vadai or a suffix. In all cases, the tzitz kicks in. So with regards to the halachas that use the tzitz as part of their leniency, there even a suffix is considered proper knowledge. And we don't say this idea that a suffix is the equivalent of Tumas HaTahom because he doesn't really know about the Tumah. And the proof for this, says Rab Chaim, is the language of the Rambam in the Halacha and Bias HaMikdash that we began with. The Rambam records the Halacha of the Gemara Sachim of Marbar of Ashi that even if the Kohen knew he was Tameh before he did the Zrika and he still went ahead and did the Zrika, so it's still going to be a valid Karban because the Tzitz will atone for that. But the Rambam ends with the phrase Afal Pishahu Mezid, even even though the Kohen did this intentionally. So the Rambam throws in a word over here which seems to have no relevance that the Kohen did this b'mezid with intention to do the Zrika. Now the Halacha of Tomas HaTahom as we've seen it so far has nothing to do with Shogeg or Mezid whether it was accidental or intentional. It has to do with Yediyah. Does he know that he's Tameh or not? And as Rab Chaim's been explaining at length if he's not sure whether he's Tameh then there's going to be Tomas HaTahom even though that could be mazed. So he could easily have a situation where he's a suffake tame, he's not sure, but he still intentionally chooses to do the service in the base on Mikdash. And that would be a fully valid case of Tumas HaTahom because there's no knowledge of the Tuma. So why did the Rambam throw in this word of mazed, which seems irrelevant to the categories of Tumas HaTahom as we've explained them so far? So says Rab Chaim, the explanation has to be, as he explained, that there's two elements 
relevance to the whole concept of Tumas HaTahom. When Tumas HaTahom works on its own, so then the operative factor, what's important, is whether or not the person knew about the Tumah. So the leniency of Tumas HaTahom applies in one of two cases. Either they didn't know about the Tumah until after the whole process, or it's a suffix whether they became Tameh. But that's all in the first element of Tumas HaTahom, which works on its own. But when it comes to the Karbanot, there it's not the Tumas HaTahom on its own, it's with the tzitz, and as Rab Chaim said, it doesn't matter at that point whether they know about it or not, because the tzitz atones regardless of whether they know. So the only potential issue is if the person did it b'mezid. Maybe the tzitz only atones for things that are shogig, it was an accident, but it's not going to atone for someone who intentionally did this. So that's why the Rambam has to add that even in a case of mezid, the tzitz will atone, so the carbon will be valid even in that case. So that's why the Rambam switches gears from the category of whether he knew or not, which is relevant to whether the Nazir has to count again or whether the person can be included in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. But when it comes to the Karban, so it's not relevant whether he knew or not. What's relevant is whether he was mazed or not. And that's exactly what the Gemara with Marbar of Ashi is coming to tell us, that if he knew he was Tameh before he did the Zrika, but the key point is not that he knew about the Tumah, it's that he chose to go ahead with the Zrika, so now he's mazed. So that's the whole discussion of that Gemara. Does the tzitz atone for a case of mazed? And the conclusion is that yes, it will atone even in that case. So that's why when the Rambam records that halacha, he makes sure to highlight the key point that even though the Kohen was mazed, still the tzitz atones, so the carbon is valid. So this proves Rab Chaim's point that he's making, that even though it might be a suffix whether the Kohen touched the Tumah, but it's still considered a mazed, the fact that he goes ahead and does the zrika under those circumstances. And the fact that the tzitz atones in those situations implies that from the perspective of the tzitz, it doesn't matter whether the person knows that they're Tameh Vadai, or if it's a suffix, regardless of their level of knowledge, whatever service they do from now on is going to be considered amazed and the tzitz is going to cover it. So this is all intended to prove Rab Chaim's last idea that the only time we need a suffix Tumah is only when Tumas HaTahom is working on its own. So for the mitzvah of Karban Pesach to include the person in the mitzvah or to allow them to eat or in the mitzvah of Nazir to allow them to count the original days or to restart a new counting all of those cases are not carbonate related. So you don't need the tzitz. You can rely on the Tumas HaTahom alone. But if the person finds out about it during the process, then they can only continue if it's a suffix knowledge. But in cases which involve a carbon, so then we need the tzitz. So then suffix knowledge is not going to be any different than vadai knowledge. In all cases, the tzitz views it as if this person knows what they're doing. And if they go ahead, then they're considered mazed. And still the tzitz will atone for all of those cases. So now plugging this back into the Gemara, when the Brisa says that the only leniency for Nazir and Pesach is if the person is not sure whether they came in contact with the dead body, that obviously has to be referring to those elements of the mitzvah which are not carbon related. So again, either being part of the carbon Pesach or eating the carbon Pesach or using the original days of Nazir or starting again, anything which has nothing to do with the carbon, it just has to do 
do with the mitzvah of Nazir or Pesach, so then the person can only continue the process if there's a suffix whether they became Tameh. If they definitely became Tameh, then they would have to stop the process. But that Brisa is obviously not talking about the Karbanot of the Nazir or the Karban Pesach, because for those aspects, the Tzitz takes care of everything, and there's no difference whether it's a suffix or a Vada. So the discussion of the two versions of Mar Barav Ashi, which debate if the person knew that they may be Tameh and still intentionally went ahead and did the Zrika, does the Tzitz atone in that situation? So there's a debate between these two versions whether the Tzitz atones in cases of Mazid. But again, the concept of knowledge in Marbar of Ashi's discussion is different from the concept of knowledge with regards to the rest of the mitzvah because Marbar of Ashi is discussing the cases of the karban. So it doesn't really matter whether the person knows or not. What matters is whether they choose to go ahead and be amazed. So even if they're a suffig, whether they're tameh and they still go ahead and do the zrika, that's considered amazed. So now Rab Chaim says the final step, which is absolutely brilliant. This is how the Rambam can make sense of the Gemara which compares seemingly two different sugyas. It's quoting from a brisa, which is talking about the owners, and a suffix toma, and it compares it to the case of a kohen and a vadai toma. So the answer is because we're not interested in the aspect of the brisa, which has to do with the mitzvahs of Nazir and Karban Pesach. That's a separate discussion, which has nothing to do with Marbaravashi. All the Gemara wants from that brisa is that we see that even if there's some knowledge, now it's true, in the Brisa it's a suffix knowledge, but we see that even with some level of knowledge, there's still a leniency of Tumas HaTahom. Now, when that knowledge gets translated into the case of the Karban, so it becomes amazed, because as we've said, even a suffix knowledge transforms into amazed with regards to the Zrika. If we take the lesson of the Brisa, that Tumas HaTahom applies even where there's a suffix knowledge during the process. And we then translate that into a case where the person did zrika subsequent to the suffix knowledge. So that becomes a mazid. And we can prove that the tzitz atones even for a case of mazid. And then if we work backwards, we can prove that even if the person had vadai knowledge, the tzitz is also going to atone in that case. Because from the tzitz's perspective, it's irrelevant whether it was a suffix knowledge or a vadai knowledge. The only category that's relevant is if it was mazid or not. And we've proved from the Brisa that the tzitz can atone even where there's a suffix knowledge, which translates into a mazid. So now this also beautifully explains how the Rambam read the Gemara, because when the Rambam was reading the sugya of Marbar of Ashi, he said this can only apply to a Kohen who became Tameh, because if the owner or the Nazir became Tameh, then they have much bigger problems. The owner can't eat the carbon Pesach, and he's also excluded from the whole mitzvah, so the tzitz can't resolve his problems, and the Nazir has to recount the Nazir days, so the tzitz can't solve that problem. So the only case where someone does something bemazed and the tzitz solves all the problems is limited to when the Kohen was Tameh. So that's exactly how the Rambam codified all these halachas, that the big leniency of even someone who for sure knows their Tameh before the Zrika and goes ahead and does Zrika, it's still a valid carbon. that's limited only to the Kohen. In the case of the owner or the Nazir, that's not going 
going to apply. Those cases are instead governed by the brisa, which said that only if it's a suffix knowledge could the person finish the process. So that's exactly where the Rambam derived that with regards to Nazir and Karban Pesach, either the person finds out everything at the end of the process, or if they find out mid-process, then it would have to be a suffix in order to continue. So all of the Rambam's halachas are beautifully explained conceptually and exactly how he's able to read them into the Gemara, even though there is this crucial moment in the Gemara where it seems to compare the halacha of Marbar of Ashi, which is talking about a Vadai knowledge before Zrika, and it compares it to the Brisa, which is talking about a Suffolk knowledge. And according to the Rambam, there's a second issue because Marbar of Ashi's case is talking about the Kohen, whereas the Brisa is talking about the owner. So how can the Gemara bring a proof in the case of Marbar of Ashi from a Brisa, which is talking about a separate case? But Rab Chaim's genius is to show that the key factor with regards to the Tzitz is Mezid. The key factor with regards to Tumas Atahom is Yediya, the knowledge. But even a Suffolk knowing something when a person goes ahead and does it is Mezid. So that's how the Gemara is able to bring a proof from the Brisa to a related but ultimately different case. Now in the second part of this piece, beginning with paragraph 6, Rab Chaim turns his attention to explaining Rashi and Tosos' approach because they have a very different view than the Rambam. And what this hinges on is that Rashi explains that the Brisa, which ruled that even if the owners know that they're Tame, they can still do the Karban Pesach, Rashi understands that that's even in a case of Vadai. So later on, when the Brisa limits the Halacha only to where there's a suffix, they're not sure if they're Tame, Rashi says that that's referring back to a later Halacha. But the essential concept of Tumas HaTahom is true even if the person knows that they're definitely Tameh, so long as when they became Tameh, nobody knew about that Tumah, they're able to proceed in the future and continue doing their carbon Pesach. So now there's a serious problem from the Mishnah in Nazir where it makes it clear that once a person knows they became Tameh, so then that's the end of the whole leniency of Tumas Atahom. As soon as the Nazir finds out that he's Tameh, if he hasn't finished the whole process yet, then he has to recount the days. So why should there be such a difference between Tumas at the home of Nazir versus Pesach that for Karban Pesach he can continue doing it, whereas the Nazir has to immediately stop and recount the days. For the Rambam, the difference is that in the case of Karban Pesach, it's a suffix, so that's why he can continue. But the Nazir is a Vadai, so it immediately ends. But Rashi and Tosvos hold that even in the case of Vadai for Karban Pesach, he can continue. So why should Nazir be different? So again, in Rashi, Rab Chaim comes back to the centrality of the tzitz, and he says that's going to be the key distinction between Pesach and Nazir. With regards to the Karban Pesach, even though it's a mitzvah to bring the Karban Pesach, but at the end of the day, the mitzvah centers around the Karban, so therefore the tzitz does its thing, and even if the person knows that they're Tameh, and they go ahead and do the zrika, the tzitz is going to atone, and that's a valid Karban. As opposed to the Nazir, where the tzitz plays no role, because the question is about fulfilling his vow of being a Nazir, so since the tzitz doesn't help him out, once he knows that he's Tameh, then it's immediately over. He can't continue and he has to recount the days.
So this idea is something that Rab Chaim already used to explain the Rambam, that one of the differences between the Karban Pesach and the Nazir is that the Tzitz helps out in the case of the Karban Pesach. So now he's applying the same basic idea to explain in Rashi why there's such a difference between the Karban Pesach and the Nazir. But in Rashi, this idea is going one step further than the Rambam, because for Rashi, the Tzitz is even more powerful than it was for the Rambam. As Rab Chaim said explicitly in the Rambam, even though the Tzitz atones for the sin of a Tame bringing a Karban, but that doesn't include the person in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, because the Tame is excluded from the whole mitzvah, not just because of a technicality that he can't bring the Karban, but because fundamentally the Torah excluded him from the mitzvah. And Rab Chaim said this clearly, that even though the Tzitz could atone the first aspect, but it cannot include this person in the mitzvah. Even though he won't have done anything wrong, but he's still a Tame who brought a Karban, so he's not included in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. Rashi now is going one step further and he's saying that not only is the tzitz going to atone for the sin of a tummy bringing a Karban, but it's even going to do precisely that next step and include this person in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. And Rab Chaim explains the reason for that is precisely the opposite of how the Rambam viewed it. That Rashi holds since the tzitz is able to solve the problem that this person is tummy, so that also removes like a dominant no effect, the fact that they were excluded from the mitzvah. So even though the Torah said that someone who's Tameh doesn't bring a Karban Pesach, that specifically refers to a case where they can't bring the Karban because they're Tameh. But once we have a case of Tumas HaTahom, where the Tzitz kicks in in order to atone for the Zrika, so now they're able to bring the Karban, so once that technicality is removed, so now they're back included in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. So according to Rashi, the Tzitz is even more powerful than for the Rambam, in that not only does it help solve the carbon problem, but it even includes this Tameh owner back in the mitzvah of carbon Pesach. And now Rab Chaim presents two proofs, one from the Gemara in Zvachim, one from Yushalmi in Pesachim, that seem to support Rashi's view that the tzitz is so powerful that not only does it solve problems related to the carbon, but it even can solve problems related to the mitzvah of carbon Pesach, the eating and being included in the commandment. The Gemara in Zvachim is discussing the Mishnah, which says that a Kohen who's Tameh can't serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So the Zikne Darom, the elders of the South, said that that's only referring to when he's Tameh Sheretz, he touched a dead bug. Aval Tameh Mace, but if he touched a dead body, then he is able to serve in the Beis HaMikdash. And the reason is because in a case where a majority of the Jewish people were Tameh Mace, they had come in contact with a dead body, they would still offer the communal offerings, and that includes a a Kohen who was Tamei Mace. So you see that there are cases when a Kohen Tamei Mace could serve as opposed to a Tamei Sheretz. There's never an exception for him to serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So then the Gemara asks, why don't we learn out a Tamei Sheretz, which is a much lower form of Tuma than Tumas Mace. So we should learn that a Tamei Sheretz can bring a carbon Sibor. In other words, if the logic is going to go in one direction, it shouldn't be that a Tamei Mace can serve in the Beis HaMikdash but not a Tamei Sheretz. Rather, we should should allow everything. So the Gemara answers that the Zikne Darom hold Mechaprin Kimis Kaprin, that the people bringing the carbon have to be the same as the people who the carbon's being brought on their behalf. So since in the case where a majority of the people are Tameh, you can only bring a carbon if they're Tameh Tumas Mace. So the people bringing the carbon can only bring it if they're Tameh Tumas Mace. But if they're Tameh Tumas Sheretz, even though it's a lower form of Tuma, but since they're not the same Tuma as the people on whose behalf they're bringing the carbon, 
Kohen, then they can't serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So that's why only a Tomas Mace Kohen could serve in the Beis HaMikdash, not Tomas Sheretz. So then the Gemara records that Reish Lakish had a problem with the Zikne Darom because he says, Eze Koach Meruba. Who's more powerful in this situation? The person bringing the carbon, the owner, or the Kohen who's offering it up? So he proves that the owner is more powerful because if the owner is Tamei Sheretz, he could still send his sacrifice with someone else and it will be processed in the Beis HaMikdash. But a Kohen who's Tamei Sheretz can't serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So you see that the owner is more powerful with regards to Tuma than the Kohen. So now Rish Lakish asks his question because the halacha is that if someone has Tumas Mace, they can't send their carbon Pesach to the Beis HaMikdash to have it sacrificed. So if so, it should logically follow that a Kohen who's Tomas Mace also can't serve in the Beis HaMikdash because Reish Lakish has shown that it's easier to overcome the Tumah of the owners than the Tumah of the Kohen serving. So if the owner who's Tomas Mace can't send his Karban Pesach to the Beis HaMikdash, then likewise a Kohen who's Tomas Mace shouldn't be able to serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara answers that the Zikne Darom disagree with the premise of Reish Lakish's question because they actually hold that if a person has Tumas Mace, he could still send his carbon Pesach to the Beis HaMikdash and it will be sacrificed and he doesn't need to do Pesach Sheni even though he's not going to be able to eat from his carbon Pesach because he is Tameh, but the carbon will be sacrificed and it will count for him. He'll have fulfilled his mitzvah. So likewise, a Kohen who's Tameh Mace could also serve in the Beis HaMikdash. So the Zikne Darom are internally consistent that if the owner is Tumas Mace, he could still send his carbon Pesach to be processed. And likewise, if the Kohen is Tomas Mace, he could serve in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, Rab Chaim points out that the Zikne Darom still have a lingering question. Because they're saying that an owner who's Tomas Mace could still send his carbon Pesach to the Beis HaMikdash. And the reason is because he's the same as the Kohen, who if he serves while Tomei Tomas Mace, the Tzitz is going to atone for him. So the same thing would apply for the owners, even though they did something they shouldn't have, but the tzitz will solve that problem. Says Rab Chaim, that only helps for the carbon aspect, which was done improperly. But what about the fact that this owner is not even included in the mitzvah, as Rab Chaim said before, because he's tamay and the Torah explicitly excluded him. So how did the tzitz include him in the mitzvah of carbon Pesach when he was tamay? In other words, to put this question differently, the Zikne Darom are issuing halachas with regards to Karbanot, that the Tzitz will atone for a Kohen who serves even when he's Tameh, and likewise that would include if the owners are Tameh and they send the Karban Pesach, so the Tzitz could atone in that situation. But as Rab Chaim pointed out at length, there's a second aspect to a Tameh bringing a Karban Pesach, which has nothing to do with the Karban. It has to do with the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, which doesn't apply to someone who's Tameh. And the Zikne Darom have no opinion about the mitzvah of Karban Pesach. So how can they just say that someone who's Tameh Mace can send his Karban Pesach without dealing with the underlying issue that he's not included in the mitzvah? Says Rab Chaim, it must be like the idea he explained in Rashi, that once they solved the problem of how someone Tameh could have his sacrifice offered because the tzitz atones, so that likewise solves the problem that he's not included in the mitzvah. Being excluded from the mitzvah was only a derivative of the fact that he was Tameh. But 
once the initial barrier has been solved, so now in this case, a Tame person is able to bring the Karban Pesach, so now he's looped back into the obligation of the mitzvah and he could fulfill his mitzvah by doing this. So the same is going to be true in the case of Tumas HaTahom. Once we solve the problem that the owner is Tame, so since he didn't know about it, it's included in the leniency of Tumas HaTahom and the Tzitz atones. So once the first barrier falls away, he's now included in the mitzvah and he's able to fulfill his mitzvah according to Rashi, even though he knows he was Tameh before the process was completed. So this Gemara in Zvachim is proof to Rab Chaim's explanation in Rashi. Now, earlier, Rab Chaim had pointed out that there's another problem with a Tameh owner of a Karban Pesach, in addition to not being part of the mitzvah, which is that he can't eat it and the tzitz isn't going to help him eat it. So the answer to this, Rab Chaim finds in the Yushalmi Pesach in Perak Zayin Halacha Zayin, where the Yushalmi seems to imply that once the issue of him being Tameh is resolved, so that also resolves the issue that he can't eat it. The Yushalmi wants to know what happens if a majority of the Jewish people became Tameh with the Tumas HaTahom. So let's say there were dead bodies that people didn't know about and the majority of the Jewish people had crossed over them without realizing it. So the Yushalmi wants to know if the Tzitz is going to atone in that case also, even though it's not just a few individuals, but it's most of the Jewish people. So first, the Yerushalmi suggests that since we find that it's easier to be lenient for a majority of the Jewish people if they're Tameh than just a few individuals, so since Tumas HaTahom applies even to individuals, then it certainly should apply to a majority of the Jewish people. But then the Yerushalmi pushes back that Tumas HaTahom is a leniency for an individual because they're not going to end up eating the Karban Pesach. So all we're saying is that they fulfilled their mitzvah enough that they don't have to do Pesach Sheni. But we're not giving them a leniency to go ahead and eat the Karban Pesach as opposed to the whole community where we'd have to allow someone to be eating the Karban Pesach. So that's a much bigger leniency than just an individual. So that's the Yerushalmi's discussion. So the way Rab Chaim explains this is that the Yerushalmi's question is what happens if a Tumas HaTahom is discovered and it turns out after they brought the Karban Pesach that a majority of the Jewish people are Tamei with this Tumas HaTahom. Would they be able to eat the Karban Pesach that night? So at first, the Yushalmi suggests that we should learn it out from a case of regular Toma where they all knew that they were Tameh, so they'd still be able to eat the Karban Pesach. And then the Yushalmi pushes back that no, since Tumas HaTahom is the kind of leniency which applies even to individuals, so maybe there's no special exception when it happens to a majority of the Jewish people. We just treat it the same as the leniency for individuals, and they're not able to eat the Karban Pesach. So what's clear in this Yerushalmi is that an individual who has the leniency of Tumas HaTahom does not eat the Karban Pesach. The only possibility is maybe the community could eat it, but the Yerushalmi even suggests that maybe the community can only eat when they know that they were Tameh, so they're relying on the other leniency of a communal Tumah. But in the case of Tumas HaTahom, nobody could ever eat. So you see clearly that even though Tumas HaTahom is a leniency and it means that the person fulfilled their mitzvah of Karban Pesach and they don't need to do it again at Pesach Sheni, but they're not able to eat. So how did they fulfill their mitzvah without eating the Karban Pesach? So the answer must be this idea that the tzitz is like a superpower. Not only does it atone for the sin of bringing a Karban in Tumah, but it even removes the obligation to eat the Karban Pesach. So the tzitz has powers beyond just atoning for a Karban that's brought with Tumah, but it can even affect some of the laws of the Karban Pesach, which is the idea that Rab Chaim's been developing in Rashi. And in fact, Rab Chaim says that this Yerushalmi is even a question on the Rambam. Because 
Because the Rambam said that if someone finds out that they're definitely Tameh before they brought the Karban Pesach, they can't do the mitzvah. And one of the reasons, as Rab Chaim explained, is because they're not going to be able to eat it that night. But the Yushalmi explicitly says that in a case of Tumas Atahom, the person doesn't eat the Karban Pesach and they still fulfill their mitzvah because the same way that Tzitz atones for bringing the Karban Pesach in Tumah, it also removes the obligation to eat it. So the Rambam's idea seems to be contradicted by this Yerushalmi that says that you don't need to eat the Karban Pesach for the leniency of Tumas Atahom to kick in. So Rab Chaim says actually the Yushalmi is not a problem on the Rambam because if you look carefully, the Yushalmi's case is a suffix Tumas Atahom. It's not where they definitely had contact with the dead body, but it's where there's a suffix whether they were in contact with the dead body. And as we know, the Rambam himself already said that in a case of suffix, you could continue with the Karban Pesach. So the Yushalmi is not contradicting what the Rambam had already told us. And even though in that case they can't eat the Karban Pesach that night, but they're still able to bring the Karban Pesach because since it's a suffix, it's included under the leniency of Tumas HaTahom and they don't need to involve the Tzitz. The leniency of Tumas HaTahom on its own will make this a valid Karban Pesach. So the Rambam could fit in with the Yerushalmi because even though the Yerushalmi said that they could fulfill their mitzvah of Karban Pesach, even though they can't eat the Karban Pesach, which seems to go against the Rambam, but the Rambam himself said explicitly that if it's a suffix Tomas to home, then they could bring the carbon Pesach. But, says Rab Chaim, how could you say that the Yushalmi is talking about a case of suffake? Because the case of the Yushalmi has to be referring to a Rishus Hayachid, a private domain where every suffake is ruled stringently. And the proof for that is because they're not able to eat the Karban Pesach. And if a majority of the Jewish people become Tameh, then they could bring the Karban Pesach in Tumah. And the Rambam in Hilchus Karban Pesach, Perak Zayin, Halacha Zayin, writes explicitly that those Halachas only apply in a Rishus HaYachid, not if it's in a Rishus HaRabim where we're lenient. So obviously if the Yushalmi is saying that they can't eat it, and if it's community-wide, they could still bring the Karban in Tumah, it must be referring to a case of Safek Tumah in a Rishus HaYachid. So that should be judged as if it's a real Tumah, not a Safek Tumah, as we saw that Tosos and Nazir explicitly says. So why should the Rambam consider that a case of Safek Tumah? Says Rab Chaim, this is also not a question on the Rambam because we already know that the Rambam disagrees with Tosos's view on this matter and he holds that even a Suffolk Tumah in Roshos HaYachid is treated as a Suffolk with regards to the leniency of Tumas HaTahom. And the proof for this is because the Rambam himself interpreted the Mishnah in Nazir where the Nazir went for a swim for fun that that's considered a Suffolk Tumah. As Rab Chaim explained, the Rambam holds that the leniency in that case is based on the fact that it's a suffix whether he had contact with the dead body. And that's clearly Rishus HaYachid because it's in a cave. So that's not a public domain. That's a private domain, which is what Tosfo said. And based on that, Tosfos had said that this is not considered a suffix because since it's a Rishus HaYachid, we consider it a full form of Tumah. But the Rambam obviously disagrees with that because he still considers it a suffix even though it's in a Rishus HaYachid. So we see that the Rambam holds that even a suffix Tumah in a where generally we're stringent, but with regards to the halacha of Tumas HaTahom, we consider that a suffix, 
and it still has the leniency as if the person doesn't know their Tameh and they can continue to do the Karban Pesach. So the Rambam could explain the Yushalmi very nicely. Lishi Taso, that he disagrees with Tosvos and holds that a Safek Tumah Bereshush is still a Safek. So even though the case of the Yushalmi is a Safek Tumah Bereshush it's still a Safek and that's why the person's able to bring their Karban Pesach. But Rashi and Tosvos, who presumably hold that the case of the Yerushalmi is a full Tumah because it's in Rosh so they have a proof from this Yerushalmi that even after a person knows their Vadai Tameh, they could still bring their Karban Pesach, even though they're not going to be able to eat it because the Tzitz atones for that whole situation and allows them to fulfill the mitzvah without eating it. But now Rab Chaim asks that there's still a textual problem with how Rashi reads the Gemara because the Brisa that introduced this whole halacha that even if someone knows their Tameh, they could still finish up the process, it said not only that a Karban Pesach could be brought, but it also said that a Nazir could finish up. And that goes explicitly against the Mishnah in Nazir, which says that if he finds out he was Tameh before the entire process was finished, then he has to start all over again. So there's a contradiction between the Brisa and Psachim, which says that a Nazir could finish up the process after he finds out he's Tameh, against the Mishnah in Nazir, which says that the leniency of Tumas Atahom only applies when he finds out after the whole process was done. But if he finds out mid-process, then he has to start all over again. So Rab Chaim says that for Rashi, he would just give a very technical answer, that the Bryson Psachim is only referring to the Karban Pesach, but it's not actually talking about the Nazir. The Nazir follows the Halacha of the Mishnah in Nazir, that if he finds out he's Tameh, then it's over. And when the Brysa says Tahor, which means in the future he's Tahor, it's only talking about a Karban Pesach. So that would preserve the whole framework of Rashi. And again, Rab Chaim just explained why there's a difference between the Karban Pesach versus the Nazir, because in the Karban Pesach case, the Tzitz solves all the problems, whereas the Tzitz doesn't help in the Nazir case. So that's how Rab Chaim would have made sense of Rashi. But Tosos and Psachim, who does ask this question about the contradiction between the Brisa and the Mishnah, so he gives a different answer, not Rab Chaim's idea, which would have preserved the overall framework, but Tosvos actually transforms the whole idea of our Gemara because he answers that the key moment is when the animal was sacrificed. After that, there's no going back and you have to go ahead with the Zrika. So in our Gemara, when it says that the person found out their Tameh and they can still go ahead with the Karban Pesach, that refers to after the Shechita. And likewise, in the case of the Nazir, after the Shechita, he would go ahead with the Zrika. But if he finds out before the Shechita, so then he wouldn't do the Karban Pesach or the Nazir. So Tosos draws a parallel between both mitzvahs, that there's a moment after which there's no going back, which is Shechita. So before that, if they find out their Tameh, then they would redo the Nazir or bring the Pesach at Pesach Sheni. But after that, they go ahead with the Zrika. And the basis of that is because the Tzitz will atone for a Zrika, even though the owners are Tameh. But Rab Chaim asks the idea that he's been discussing throughout, part of saying that a Nazir doesn't need to go back is not only that he can bring his carbon, it's also that his original vow was fulfilled. So what does the tzitz help in terms of fulfilling the Nazir's vow? 
So Rab Chaim explains for Tosfos what role the tzitz plays for the Nazir by trying to articulate what exactly is the case here. So he begins with the Gemara in Nazir Daf Samach Gimel. Rami Bar Chama asked, what happens if the person became Tameh in the middle of their period of being a Nazir, but they didn't find out they were Tameh until they were done? So let's say it was a Nazir for 30 days. He became Tameh on day 15, but he didn't find out until day 30. So Rami Bar Chama wants to know, do we follow the moment that he became Tameh and he has to redo the whole thing? Or do we follow when he found out about it, which was after he was done? So the Gemara says that Rava said, well, isn't this exactly the Mishnah that we've been talking about throughout? That if the Nazir found out that he had become Tameh before he completely finished the process, including shaving and bringing his Karbanos, so then he has to restart the whole thing. And obviously it's not talking about where he found out during the time he's a Nazir. It's talking about after he was done, but before he had completed the whole process. So what's Rami Bar Chama asking? Of course he has to redo the whole thing. So the Gemara says, well, there's still a question. When he has to redo the whole vow, does he have to do as many days as he had said? So let's say 30, or does he only have to do seven? So again, the Gemara says, this is the debate between the Rabbanan and Rabbi Eliezer. The Rabbanan hold that before the whole process was completed, if it gets messed up, you have to redo the whole thing. And Rabbi Eliezer holds if it was after the person had completed the days of their vows, but before they had shaved, and then they got messed up, so they only have to do seven days. So it's going to be the same debate in this case. Either they have to do their full days, or they only have to do seven. So the Gemara says, well, no, now we actually do have a real question. Because it could be that what Rami Bar Chama was asking is according to Rabbi Eliezer, that after the days are completed, if it gets messed up, you only have to do seven. Does that include a case where the actual Tumah happened during the days? Meaning, if the person became Tummy on day 15 and only found out about it on day 30, would Rabbi Eliezer say that they have to do the full thing because when they became Tummy, it was in the middle of the days? Or do we follow the day they found out about it, which was at the end of the days, so they only have to do seven. So now the Gemara figured out a valid question for Rami Bar Chama that he's trying to understand in Rebbe Eliezer in this case where someone became Tameh on day 15 and only found out about it on day 30. Do we follow when they became Tameh or do we follow when they found out about it? So now it's unclear how did Rava answer this question from the Mishnah? The Mishnah doesn't seem to address this case explicitly. So the Gemara doubles down on Rava's point that you can still answer this question from the reading of the Mishnah. And the way Tosos explains it, the conclusion of the Gemara is that we treat that case following the day that they found out about it. So according to Rabbi Eliezer, they would only have to do seven days. They don't have to go back and do the whole thing. So that's the conclusion of that Gemara in Rami Bar Chama's case where they became Tameh on day 15, found out about it on day 30. According to Rabbi Eliezer, they only have to do seven days. Now put this together with another Gemara on Nazir Dafmem Zayin, the Mishnah records a debate, what happens if they bring one of the Karbanos of the Nazir, so they even do the Zrika, and then the Nazir becomes Tameh. So this is different than the case we've been discussing until now, where he became Tameh in the middle of being a Nazir. In this case, he became Tameh in the middle of them bringing his Karbanos. So the Mishnah records a debate between Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim. Rabbi Eliezer says that he has to redo the whole thing, which means that he has to redo all the Karbanos. That first Karban doesn't count. And the Chachamim 
Chachamim say that that first carbon does count because he was Tahar at that time, so he just needs to bring the rest of them. Now, the Yushalmi explains that even the Chachamim hold that he can't continue bringing the rest of the Karbanos immediately. He has to take a break, go become Tahar, and then return and they can finish up the rest of the Karbanos. So the Chachamim hold that he did fulfill that first Karban, but now he has to bring the rest of them when he's Tahar. So he'd have to go become Tahar and then finish up. Rabbi Eliezer disagrees with them and holds that he hasn't fulfilled any of the Karbanos. He has to redo the first one all over again. But again, even according to Rabbi Eliezer, he can only bring the Karbanos when he's Tahar. So he'd have to go become Tahar and then start all over again. So it's very clear is that everyone in that Mishnah holds that you can't bring the Karbanos of the Nazir when he's Tameh. He has to be Tahar when they're bringing the Karbanos. So now putting all this together, says Rab Chaim, we have a very nice explanation for Tosvos. Because since the case of Tosvos is where the person found out about the Tumah after the carbon was shechted, and as we said in the Gemara, we follow the time when they found out about it. So at issue is not whether they need to redo their days. The days they did and they're done with that. The only question now is what about the Karbanos? Do we have to restart the whole carbon process or can they just go ahead with the Zrika and finish up? So for that, the Tzitz is going to kick in and correct the situation. So even though Rab Chaim's question is true, that in many cases of Nazir, the Tzitz is not going to solve all the problems because the Tzitz can't fulfill his Nazir vow for him. But in this specific case, it has nothing to do with the Nazir vow. He's already fulfilled the Nazir vow. The only question has to do with whether they can finish up the Karbanos or he needs to go become Tahor and potentially restart all the Karbanos. So since that's a purely Karban issue, the Tzitz solves that problem and they can finish up the Karbanos, and then he's totally done with the process. So that's the explanation for why Toso supplies that sits in this situation of Nazir. And that also very nicely explains why this only fits according to the Rabbanan. Because according to Rabbi Eliezer, that he's missing the shaving. So for that, obviously the tzitz can't solve it because the tzitz can't create as if he's shaved. So according to Rabbi Eliezer, if he finds out that he's Tameh before he had shaved, since that's an integral part of the end of being a Nazir, so he has to redo the whole thing. But according to the Rabbanan, that the shaving is not integral, he could end the Nazir even without that. So the only issue that remains is bringing his carbon now that he became Tameh. So there the Tzitz is going to be able to solve that so long as they already did the Shechita. So now they have to go ahead with the Zrika and the Tzitz is going to solve it. Before the Shechita though, then they shouldn't do the Shechita and he should just redo the whole process. So now Reb Chaim continues in the eighth paragraph and he says, now that we understand what Tosfos means, we can answer the question that Reb Chaim asked on him way earlier which is Tosvos holds that the key moment is the Shechita. Once they shecht the sacrifices of the Nazir, even if he becomes Tameh, they would go ahead with the Zrika. But the Yerushalmi explicitly says that according to the Rabbanan, the key moment is the Zrika, and if the Nazir becomes Tameh before the Zrika, then he has to start the whole process all over again. So Tosvos is contradicting the Yerushalmi because Tosvos said that everything depends on the moment of Shechita and the Yerushalmi and the Rabbanan said that everything depends on the moment of Zrika. So again, says Rab Chaim, we can answer this contradiction by understanding exactly what cases they're each discussing. The Mishnah on Nazir Dafhei says that the standard amount of time for a Nazirus, if someone doesn't specify how many days it is, so we assume that it's 30 days. So the Gemara says, how do we know that? So 
there's two opinions. Rabbi Meir says we learn it out from the Pasuk of Kadosh Yihiyah. He will be sanctified. So the gematria of the word Yihiyah is 30. So we learn that a standard Nazirus is 30 days. Barpada says that the word Nazir is used 29 times in the Torah. So we know that it's a 29-day period. So basically there's a debate. What is the actual time period of the Nazir? Is it a full 30 days or is it 29 days? And when the Mishnah says it's 30 days, it means that it's ending on the 30th day. In other words, does the Nazirus run for 29 days and end on the 30th day? Or does it run for 30 days and end on the 31st day? So the Gemara asks that there's a Mishnah which says that the Nazir can shave on the 30th day. So that sounds like it's a 29-day period. So the Gemara answers, A little bit of the day halachically counts as the whole day. So once the Nazir kept the morning of the 30th, he can then go ahead and shave in the afternoon of the 30th, even though, according to Rabbi Meir, the time of the Nazir is a full 30 days. Then the Gemara asks from a Mishnah, which says if the Nazir becomes Tameh on the 30th day, so he has to do the whole thing all over again. So the Gemara says that makes sense according to Rabbi Meir, because the Nazirus is a full 30 days, but according to Barpada, that it's only 29 days, so the 30th day is after he's already done. So Tosvos points out that the 30th day is very active according to Rabbi Meir because on the one hand he's able to complete his Nazirus and do the shaving that day but on the other hand if he becomes Tameh then he has to start the whole thing all over again. So which is it? Is the 30th day part of the Nazirus or is it afterwards? So Tosvos explains that even though we say so once he was a Nazir for the morning he can already end it and shave but there is a caveat that if he becomes Tameh at any point during that day, he's going to have to start the whole thing all over again. So those halachas both can coexist. Yes, he's able to end the Nazirus at any point that day, but if he becomes Tameh before finishing the whole process, then he has to start the whole thing all over. So based on this, Rab Chaim says that there's going to be two different cases where a Nazir becomes Tameh before he brought his Karbanos, and the Halakha is going to play out differently depending on the case. If it's the 30th day and the Nazir shaved, so he ended his Nazirus, but before he brings the Karbanos, he becomes Tameh, so then not only does he have to restart the whole Karban process, but he has to redo the whole Nazirus because it's still in the 30th day, and as Rabbi Mayor said that 30th day is part of the whole Nazirus. So if he becomes Tameh, then the whole thing starts over again. But if it's the 31st day, and on that day he was trying to bring his Karbanos, but before he brought them, he became Tameh, so then he only needs to go become Tahor and restart the Karban process, but there's no way he would need to restart the whole Nazirus process because he already finished 30 full days. So whether or not his becoming Tameh is going to cancel all of the Nazirus days or just the Karbanos is going to depend on which day this happened. If it's the 30th day, which is still part of the Nazirus days, then it's going to cancel the whole thing. But if it's the 31st day, then it only affects the Karbanos. So now says Rab Chaim, this same distinction is also going to apply in the case of Tumas HaTahom. If he finds out that he became Tameh with Tumas HaTahom on the 31st day, so then the only thing it affects is the Karbanos. So then the Tzid 
Hits kicks in, he can bring his carbonos, finish up the process, and he's done. But if they discover the body, so he discovers the Tumas at home on the 30th day, so now it doesn't only affect the carbonos, it affects his whole Nizirus vow. He's going to have to redo the entire thing. So the Tzitz can't save him from that. So then he is going to have to cancel the whole thing and start all over. So that's the answer to this contradiction between Tosvos and the Yerushalmi. Tosvos is interpreting the Gemara in Psachim that the Nazir is bringing his carbon on the 31st day. So he's already completed his vow. The issue is not whether he's going to have to redo all his days. The only question is whether they can bring this carbon. So that's why Tosvos says once they did the Shechita, so then the Tzitz kicks in because this is a case of Tumas HaTehom. So they can finish up with the Zrika and the Nazir is done with the process. But the case of the Yushalmi is where he's bringing the carbon on the 30th day or on the day when his Nazirus ends. So there it's true that if he finds out that he became Tameh at any point before it's totally completed, then he's got to start everything all over again because since it affects not only the carbonos but also whether he fulfilled his Nazir vow so that Sitz can't solve that problem and since he knows about the Tumah so it's no longer Tumah Satehom so the only way that he doesn't have to redo the whole thing is if he fully completed the whole process, including Zrika, because then we would say it's totally over with. So that's the classic leniency of Tumas Atahom, that if someone finds out that they were Tameh, but they're totally done with the Nazir, the Karban Pesach, so then they don't have to do it all over again. But since this Nazir found out right before the Zrika that he's Tameh, so he no longer has the leniency of Tumas Atahom, the only thing that could save him is the Tzitz, but since it's the 30th day, it's not the 31st day, so then it's going to affect also whether he has to redo the vow so that Sitz can't save him. So that's why the Yushalmi says he has to do everything all over again up until the Zrika is completed. But that's why Tosvos in his case, which is the next day, the 31st day, so he holds that the defining moment is the Shechita because that day the Nazir is not going to have to redo his vow. He already completed the vow. The only question is the Karbanos. So there we apply the general rule of Tomas HaTehom that once the animal was Shechted, that sits allows you to go ahead and do the zrika. And now Rab Chaim ends the whole piece in the last paragraph with a beautiful, brilliant flourish where he comes back to the Rambam to show how the Rambam read all of these Gemaras differently than Tosfos. And that's why there's this huge debate between the Rambam versus Tosfos about how to make sense of all these halachas. The Rambam in Hilch's Nazir's Parak Vav records this distinction between a Nazir who became regular Tameh versus Tumas HaTehom, that for Tumas HaTehom he doesn't need to redo the whole thing. And then the Rambam concludes that if before they completed the Zrika of the Karbanos of the Nazir, he found out that he was Tameh, then it makes no difference whether it was regular Tumah or Tumas HaTehom. In either case, if he finds out that he's Tameh before the Karbanos, Bonos were completed, so then he has to start over and do the whole thing. So the Rambam holds that we follow the moment when he became a Tameh, that determines the Halacha, not the moment when he found out about it, and that's why he has to redo all of the days of his Nazirus. So that means the Rambam read the conclusion of the Gemara, the opposite of Tosvos. Tosvos understood that the Gemara saw in the Mishnah that we follow the moment when the person finds out about the Tumah, but the Rambam read the conclusion of the Gemara 
Tumah the opposite way. That since the Mishnah compares regular Tumah to Tumas HaTahom, and it doesn't make any distinction between them, so that means that Tumas HaTahom should follow the rules of regular Tumah, that we follow the moment the person became Tameh and not when they found out about it. So that means if someone became Tameh in the middle of their days, and then they found out about the Tumas HaTahom at the end of their days, but before they had completed the whole process with the Karbanos, so then they have to redo the entire thing following the moment when they became Tameh. So now, working backwards from that, that means that the Rambam's also going to reject the whole idea of Tosfos, that it matters whether the person found out about their Tumah on day 30 versus day 31. Tosfos held that on day 30, they have to redo the whole vow, but on day 31, they only have to do the Karbanos. But the Rambam holds that it's irrelevant. Either way, they have to redo the whole vow because we don't care about when they found out. We care about when they became Tameh. So it's irrelevant whether it's day 30 or even if they completed the full 30 days and now it's day 31. Either way, they have to redo the entire vow from the beginning. So again, now working backwards, when the Rambam read in the Yerushalmi that everything depends on the Zrika, if the Nazir finds out that he's Tameh before the Zrika, then he has to redo the whole thing. The only leniency that he doesn't have to redo the whole thing is after the Zrika, when the whole process is totally completed. So according to the Rambam, that Yerushalmi is referring to any day that he found out that he's Tameh. Tosvos, we just said, holds that the Yushalmi is only talking about, let's say, day 30 of a 30-day Nazirus. But by day 31, the halacha would ease up because we're not talking about having to redo the whole Nazirus. But according to the Rambam, there's no time limit because regardless of when they find out that they're Tameh, even if it's days after they finish their Nazirus, so let's say it's a 30-day Nazirus and now it's day 40 and the body is discovered, so now they find out that they were Tameh with Tumas HaTahom, so long as they have and brought their karbanos, they're going to have to redo the entire thing. So the Yerushalmi is not just talking about day 30. It's talking about at any point, if it's before the Zrika, then the Nazar has to redo the entire thing. So now putting this together, the Rambam had a big problem because the way the Yerushalmi explains the Mishnah in Nazir, it's a flat out contradiction with the Brysa in Psachim, which says that a Nazir who finds out that he's Tameh could still finish up the process. Tahor, in the future, he could go ahead and bring his carbon. But according to the Yushalmi, there's literally no case when that would ever happen because the Nazir who finds out he's Tameh before the process is completed has to redo the whole thing. There's no time when the Nazir would find out that he's Tameh and he could still complete the process. So what is the Brysa and Psachim talking about? So that's why the Rambam said there has to be a totally different distinction here. Not Tosos's distinction between whether it's day 30 or day 31, but there's a much more fundamental distinction between whether the Tumah that he heard about was Suffolk or Vadai. The only case where the Gemara and Psachim allows the Nazir to bring his Karban is if it was a Suffolk Tumah that he found out about. Because again, that's not really considered knowing about the Tumah, so that's still included in the leniency of Tumas HaTahom. But the case in Nazir is a Vadai. So once they discovered the dead body, the Nazir knows for sure that he had contact with it. So in a case of Vadai, says the Rambam, 
the Nazar has to redo the entire thing from the beginning. So that's exactly what forced the Rambam to make this big distinction between Suffolk and Badai, that a Nazir's halacha only applies in a case where it's a Suffolk because he's trying to explain how the Mishnah and the Brisa fit together, especially the way the Yerushalmi explains the Mishnah, and especially according to the Rambam, who holds that with Tumas HaTahom, we follow the moment when he became Tameh, not when he found out about it. So that's what's forcing this whole distinction. And then the Rambam made sense of it by positing this idea that the tzitz can only solve problems which are directly related to karbonos. It cannot solve problems that have to do with mitzvos, so it can't correct issues in the mitzvah of Karban Pesach or in the mitzvah of Nazir, as Rab Chaim explained at great length throughout this piece. So this is a very brilliant idea to show how the Rambam and Tosvos got to their respective readings of the Gemara. And Rab Chaim ends with one more point that similarly shows how the Rambam got his halachas from his interpretation of the Gemara, which differs from Rashi and Tosvos. And that is that Rashi and Nazir brings a different version of the Brisa that we've been discussing, which says the whole halacha that Tumas HaTahom allows the Nazir and the owner of the Karban Pesach to finish up the process. So that Brisa makes a distinction between whether they're riding versus whether they're walking. Because if they're walking, it's a suffix whether they went over this body. But if they're riding, so then it's a Vadai that they went over it. So this was the line from which the Rambam derived this whole idea that there's a distinction between suffix and Vadai. And he believes that the whole Brisa is only talking about in a case of a suffix. So Rashi and Nazir records a girsa in that Brisa, which says, that if they're riding, so then it's a vadai that they went over the dead body. So then, even the Nazir and the person doing the Karban Pesach are prohibited to continue. So Rashi rejects that version because he considers it to be an internal contradiction. The Brisa just said that the Nazir and the Karban Pesach could continue. So what do you mean they can't continue? And Rashi doesn't believe in the Rambam's distinction that riding is a vadai and walking is a suffix because he holds that if you walk over a dead body, it's also a vadai that they were over the dead body. So according to Rashi, both of these cases are a vadai. So why should the Brisa say in one of them that the Nazir and the Karban Pesach can continue and in the other one they have to stop? So that's why Rashi says this whole version is wrong and he gets rid of it. But Rab Chaim's implying that maybe the Rambam did have this version or he saw it in a Gemara and he was trying to make sense of the Brisa according to that version, which says explicitly that if the Nazir or the Karban Pesach were riding over the dead body, then they can't continue. So the interpretation that the Rambam suggested is that riding is considered a Vadai, walking is considered a Suffolk, and the Brisa is limiting the whole leniency of Tumas Atahom only to a case of Suffolk. But if the Nazir or the Karban Pesach know Vadai, that they became Tameh, even in a case of Tumas Atahom, they're not allowed to continue bringing karbanos. So again, this example illustrates how the halachas that the Rambam codifies follow from the ways that he's interpreting these Gemaras and he's trying to make sense of the Mishnah in Nazir versus the Brisa in Psachim. So this is a very brilliant piece from Rab Chaim. I can't even begin to go through the key points because it's so long and there's so many details, but it's just unbelievable the brilliance of Rab Chaim, the ability to create a whole model and framework like this with such sharp ideas throughout and the ability to account for all sorts of details and putting together these sugyas for Rashi, for Tosfos, for the Rambam. It's 
it's just an unbelievable level of genius. It's magnificent to be able to learn through it. And I don't think you'll find anything like this anywhere else. So I'll just end by saying that anyone who made it to this point, you should call your congressman and you deserve a medal.